Welcome one and all to Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We hope that you enjoy, we hope you're here for a pleasurable experience this evening. Grab yourself your favorite mug. We have it cleaned up, ready for you. And I hope that this brew hits home, especially tonight. It's a unique blend of something that we all tend to enjoy. Escapism. I think that goes to say that escapism is a paramount part of the human experience. I personally, myself, indulge in it. I think there's goes without question because let's get this out of the way. I'm a gamer. As surprising as this is when it comes to these topics, I'm a gamer. I, one of the things, it's my hobby. It's the thing that I enjoy to do most out of everything. I have a modest collection of classic and modern consoles from different genres and different games all alike. It is something that I personally enjoy, and it is something that has kept me going in the craziness that is life. Because, of course, not everybody, no, of course, as much as it is to love and enjoy the social aspects of the human experience, I think it's safe to say that you are not always going to have somebody for whom to share that human experience with. So, you know, it's always nice to have something to keep your mind busy before it deteriorates into madness. Whether that has already passed for me is yet to be determined or could be debatable, but I digress. In a world that happens to be full of malice and corruption, chaos and disarray, there is something that is oddly unique about escapism, having the, uh, the ability to recline into something far more mundane or, or should say pleasurable when it seems it when it seems to when everything seems to be collapsing around you it's a very odd thing for human beings to do because let's get this thing straight it is you un almost uniquely a human trait because the wildlife for the rest of the for the rest of the animal kingdom they don't generally experience something like this instead they fight day-to-day -day basis to survive and it's not like we don't do but the difference is compared to human beings and other wildlife. I mean, there's no real comparison. And we've done this since the earliest parts of civilization. Heck, even beforehand, you could even consider that those of um, Neolithic times when, we, when humans or pre-humans would paint and carve onto walls of caves it's something that humans tend to share with one another. Although then again, I mean, I guess it's more recluse, exclusive to, on a broader range, to primates in general. Because if you want to include the, the social constructs of what some of those animals do, I know it's being on a more general sense, but I think when it comes to escapism, it has given me personally the opportunity to refresh myself so that I can face 
the chaos that that is out there that is the the real world but i think we've also come to the point where we're also indulging ourselves perhaps a bit too much i don't know i mean there is such a thing as addiction towards towards your hobbies i know i'm totally spaced out with all sorts of different tangents but the idea is that it's not necessarily the easiest topic subjects to talk about. It's that over the past week, I have been essentially stuck in my house. Thanks to the snow, thanks to the ridiculousness that is this winter, I'm sure most of you have uh, dealt with in some shape or form. Especially if you live in the northern states, let's get this out of the way. I mean, Texas is dealing with a lot of crap but what they deal with is completely out of the or is out of the ordinary for them and it ain't nothing compared to what we deal with out here in the north i don't know i'm sorry uh i know my thoughts are scattered <laughs> you have any thoughts on it good sir as far as escapism is concerned i think it, like every like everything that we partake in it, it, it's as you said everything in moderation and I think, especially with the unprecedented situation we found ourselves in for almost the past year, we're coming up on a year now with the COVID lockdown stuff. And it has become kind of a part and parcel thing where escapism has become part of daily life. Whether you have a hobby that you invest in, you play video games to escape from the reality around you, to the more negative aspects of that of addiction and such that 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 tend to be the the the, the grayer and darker areas of escapism, we the, those things have definitely been uh, been uh, very heavily used in that time frame. I think we've gotten to the point now where between figuring things out with social distancing and mask wearing and stuff that we were. Now where we don't have to rely so heavily on those things, but I wonder, I worry now more that if it's something that we're just kind of it's we're entangled in it. Not to say that we hadn't been entangled in it before. I, like I said, stuff is stuff that we becomes habitual tends to be that problem. Essentially, we haven't responded to an outbreak the way we've done so before, like this. Like I said, I think the technology that we have access to and the, uh, the unprecedented amounts of different types of entertainment that we have, be it, you know, digital, analog, or in some cases, chemical and alcohol related, um, definitely leave nothing to be desired in that regard. Fair enough. Now, there is an aspect to escapism that, is more leaning towards on the social and, and political aspects of it. It's called gatekeeping. If you don't know what that is, it's essentially the idea of keeping people out of a certain hobby. And the reason could the reasons for that vary from person to person. It has been demonized to the point where it is done so due to prejudiced means, whether it be misogynistic or sexist or racial bounds, 
or homophobic or transphobic. And there has, to a minor extent, there has been some merit to that ideology. Now, the big, the problem with it is that there is far more evidence in terms of of the complete opposite, where the gatekeeping isn't due to any of those aspects, but rather it is an encroachment of a hobby done so by such by people who pretend that such issues that there are issues within said hobby that need to be taken care of before it can be enjoyed even though you've already personally enjoy it regardless if they're whether or not if it's really there or not and then they shame you for liking said hobby with those supposed existent flaws if whether they do or not that's a whole other question and then they demonize you for doing so to the point where they plague the hobby that you once enjoyed and it's no longer it's a former it's a shadow of its former self i can understand the plight of the hobbyist who may be impassioned for that certain hobby only to see it get destroyed by essentially idiots who think that they ha- who think that they can create a problem in that said hobby blow it up into mammoth proportions shame you for loving that said hobby and then essentially force you out because you can no longer stand that hobby anymore. But I think the question I want to put up with is, because you can see both sides of the argument, is is gatekeeping a necessary evil, or is it something that or is it something that is only hindering progress, whatever that may be? Any form of gatekeeping preventing people from coming into a hobby or an entertainment venue it is something that essentially creates and stunts the uh, creates a blockage and stunts the hobby in in question and i think we we as people who are in these hobbies and entertainment uh cultures we have a responsibility to one extent or another to ensure that those blockades are disassembled and ensure that the gatekeeping is brought down to a minimum. You can never stop that kind of stuff from occurring. What you can do is focus locally and ensuring that your particular facet of that interest stays as open as humanly possible. If people are uncomfortable with other people being in that hobby for whatever reason, there, there needs to be a discussion as to why that is. If it's something that's much more interpersonal and has less to do with the hobby, then there's, some, then there's a place to have a, a greater conversation about it and address the problem as it is. If it's just that they, they have a specific attribute or trait or personality flaw that you don't feel 
would gel with the overall theme that you believe the hobby represents or interest represents, then I, that is a little bit more of a, um, something that should be avoided. Obviously, if somebody's abrasive and they're in, being intentionally antagonistic to a group through their actions, you they're there. Like I said, it's an interpersonal issue, and that tends to have more weight, have more water weight than say, I just don't like that person in general, or I don't like them because of attribute X. So you can you can make those yeah. you can make those kind of uh, distinctions. And I think in a more rational thinking group, obviously, you know, your results may vary on that one. That would be where you would go and create that, um, that distinction. Yeah. Unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, despite the fact that it could, that is most likely a small percentage, it does happen where people do gatekeep due to, uh, essentially, what what's the ad, adjective I'm looking for? I don't want to call it shallow because it's simply not it. It's superficial. Superficial. Thank you. Superficial characteristics and attributes. And that just, it's simply wrong to do such a thing. And in fact, it's simply awful because from those perspectives can help. I can understand. I see where you're going at where those perspectives and those experiences can help contribute and help the hobby grow and, and undergo change towards a potential new idea. It's allowed to evolve potentially. So, and for that, I can give it a lot of respect and I can condemn that. I can condemn that much of a, of gatekeeping as far as I know. Uh, but we have seen plenty of, we've seen plenty of gatekeeping through over the years where it's not necessarily unjustified, but it's only more due to a backlash from the push of other, no, of, of folks who, who want to claim uh, falsities about whether it's people from that hobby or from the hobby itself, and then demonize those who make who jump into its defense. And I think that is a despicable, volatile thing to do. Like you said, you know, mileage comes to mileage may vary because it's up to us to rationally assess and evaluate the situation to see what is exactly going on. Just may have to be a bit quick about it because, unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes they may t some sometimes this sort of thing is uh, rather quick, and before you know it, you get jumped hard. Although I'm not saying be quick to a session, rather, no, or I should say be not quick to judge, but rather be quick to assess. I think one of the major headaches that ends up happening, especially when any kind of interest group like that is two things. One of two things occurs. The interest group itself gets large enough where there is a significant overflow of people and it becomes untenable to manage for the, for, for the central core of that group. 
So you have what, what ends up happening is you tend to have a distillation and a cataloging of different aspects of that group that tend to splinter off into their own side groups with the main objectives being the, 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 the interest, the, the main focus interest at hand, but either a secondary characteristic of that or a secondary characteristic of the groups that splinter off tend to be more of the focus at that point. And the unification of it becomes very difficult, especially when you're making, trying to make larger inroads into bigger, into a larger pathway of people that you want to integrate into that interest group. There tends to be, uh, a, a, a hyper focus then on something that's a bit more regional or even much more lar- lar- much larger than that in some cases you, the, there tends to be a global focus which is really honestly very difficult to to upkeep and micromanage if you are in in some form of administration of that group as a whole or at the very least been nominated as such and what ends up happening is because of that, there the dissident voices that may surface through that, or moreover, the, the 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 spilling in of new people becomes to the point where you feel compelled by the situation at hand to gatekeep just to kind of control the flow of people, so you're aware of the different voices who are becoming integrated into that group. For good or ill, again, I, I can't say, especially because when it comes to intent with that kind of stuff, it's definitely a larger question for most people as to what's, if it was if it ends up being worth it or not. And moreover, I think that what, what needs to end up happening is that unless you are on like a website for that interest group where you do have administrative or moder- moderator function in that, you really shouldn't be so concerned on the higher levels of things because you'll just end up stress. You'll just end up creating stresses for yourself that you cannot possibly hope to put in under control. You just need to have, okay. you just need to have that, have a more local focus on, on your interest group is what I'm saying. I think it makes some excellent points there. I think it comes down to you just you, you, and that's what I've been saying for a long time. And I've talked to other people about this because being in hobbies that I'm in, people tend to really stress out about the more global aspects of that hobby and the, the, the more public global aspects of it have become very hyper polarized to the point where that person feels dist- it feels a certain amount of distaste for the hobby that they were enjoying before. And I, and I and I keep telling them the same thing, and they agree with me, but they still end up getting consumed by by social media with regards to that interest. Just focus on you and your group of people. The more that you the no, more that you branch out and try and go for more people and pull more people under your banner who aren't in your immediate area, the less manageable it's going to be for you in the long run, and you'll you will start. In not enjoying things it'll become you'll you'll lose interest in it because you're going to burn yourself out long before any of the people who are outside of your sphere of of sphere of influence let's just go with that are going to even remotely care about what you think or what you're doing 
say the producer, the, the producer of your hobby ends up being, oh, I don't know, less than, less than favorable to your hobby, despite it. Would you still agree that you should just simply keep your uh, person, your your, uh, your your personal circle small, and just enjoy it as it is, and enjoy what you loved about it from before? The reason I ask this is because I am kind of in the middle of that boat. See, I don't just want I don't just play games. I watch anime as well. I know, shocker! Believe, I know you all must be very surprised about that. And one of the problems that faces the, uh, the scene is that, at least when it comes to the dubbing of the series, is that uh, some of the bigger production companies, I'm not going to mention their names, but they tend to, they tend to change, they, can, they tend to change the, um, the translations of the original audio to the point where it's no longer the, the meaning is no longer the same. They hijack it and they add whatever whatever BS you know, BS politics they want to apply in, or they try to they try to create. Um, they try to make superficial references where most people, as far as I know, are only interested in just wanting to know the original, what the original audio is uh, saying. They just want to keep the original core idea. It's understandable that some of the, of some of the direct translation has to change because it doesn't grammatically make any sense or anything like that. But to change the idea and the context is changing the meaning of what the of what the product is trying to convey, and that's not what something what anime fans want. They want to be able to they want to be able to enjoy the product for what it is. And yes, you can always watch it some, but it is also a different experience to watch it in a language that you can understand. If you watch Japanese and understand Japanese, speak Japanese, wonderful, great, great on you. You don't have to worry about that. But not everybody can speak Japanese. Some people have to watch it in their own home dialect. And when that language is not has been essentially butchering the original Japanese translation, it becomes quite irritating. So, I think when it comes to localization, we something that needs to be kept in focus with a lot of things, especially when it comes to things that are coming over into a different language, is the company who's doing the localization tends to want to reach a more general audience. Their focus is trying to create market saturation that will allow them to sell other items and allow them to reach the biggest market possible of people. So unless the animation or the IP in question has stronger adult connotation and themes that are happening in the animation specifically, 
they're going to make those adjustments as necessary to reach as many people as possible. This is not usually a political re- ideology thing. This tends to just be money. People are the companies that focus part, on trying to make as much money as possible. That part I understand. I get the intent, and it's not enti- I'm not entirely against the intention because let's face it, your company's gonna want to grow and expand. And if you want your product, your, your product's eventually gonna have to do the same if you want it to grow, because eventually it's going to be limited and stifled by its by its rigid design unless you make some changes and that's perfectly fine anime it's all it's already super niche even if it's as popular as it's ever been it's still a relatively niche uh, niche product say what you will of how passionate fans can be still a relatively small market we don't see many adaptations of it for like even compared to that of video games we don't see things we don't see it get pushed nearly as much i mean heck there are people who non-anime fans who enjoy studio ghibli films and don't understand that it's anime yeah that's localization done correctly but again, that you're you're still focusing on quality at that point, whereas I think where you were before, again, you're talking about an ideology bleeding into things and getting back to that. It's more of a again it, when that kind of stuff occurs, it's well beyond the wheelhouse of just bottom line issues where they're trying to make money. There, I was agreeing with you overall, and I was trying to tell you. That, that there there clearly is something that is happening in the background that is causing these kind of changes to popular media and whatever and whatever uh, issues that that may occur and it isn't just with stuff that requires localization if you look at a lot of popular media even in western cultures there are changes 180s that seem to occur out of nowhere in a series or in a, in, a, in a novel or in, in stuff like that, that seems almost completely out of place with what's actually occurring in the overall mythos that, that's, be, that's, tr- that's being constructed. And, and a lot of people, especially with um, the Star Wars fandom as it is, there were, many, there were many different schisms that formed because of the most recent trilogy. And honestly, being a, somebody who is just a general lover of sci-fi it becomes very perplexing to me why those schisms occurred but i understand if 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 something isn't going narratively how you expect it to go it, it does create a dissonance that tends to divorce you from the overall appeal of the property that you're looking at and if that happens too often it can put you off completely off of an, an, an IP and any associated uh, side projects that may come up from it because you do not feel as if you are the target market anymore. But it, I think that's something that needs to be addressed overall with the market as things have, tr- have transpired. And I've listened to uh, several podcasts talking about this, but one in particular um, had, had a very interesting perspective on it. And it's generational 
is what ends up happening is that a lot of the older generations have phased out of, of popular popular media in the different roles there. And there tends to be a drastic philosophical difference between those two generations as the new generation comes in to take over in those regards. And the focus tends to be so broad that they tend to lose their core base of, uh, of, of fans in a mass scramble to try and add more people to the fandom as a whole for market purposes or for ideological purposes, either or. And I, what ends up occurring is the original core foundation that you've established your intellectual property on is lost in a cloud of new people who have only a only a shred of interest in in the uh, the narrative and the you know illustration and whatever other aspects of that intellectual property that you have they're only mildly interested in those things versus the people who were wholesale invested in them to begin with and it creates a massive chasm where you have people who have who were the diehard fans who are left left basically isolated from a, a greater universe that you're trying to construct for a larger group of people that they might not actually reach in that regard. Okay, so it's because they tend to focus more on the on the younger generation since they're basically coming into the picture. It makes more sense to appeal to to their likes and need to their likes over the more dedicated over to the longer dedicated fan base yes because the the fan base that exists only has a a certain shelf life whether it be biological or interest wise and it's much more difficult for people in that regard who are in positions of creative control to be able to keep catering to those people in some vain hope that they're going to bring other people in. Yes, word of mouth is still the most powerful method of getting people to enjoy something. The problem ends up being is that a lot of those companies tend to use focus groups where they should just be using fan input. And they've been more focused, hyper-focused, I would almost say, on 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 focus groups instead of re- relying on their fans to do a lot more of the heavy lifting with regards to choosing the path for what they're trying to accomplish. And now I've heard dissident voices on this saying, Oh, well, fans don't know what they want. They don't, they, they, they never make a unified decision on that thing. And I can't confirm or deny that specifically, but I would, I would contest that if you weren't at the very least 50% of the time reaching out to your fans of, of any interest as it is and finding out where they are in relation to what you're doing, you're doing yourself a disservice because focus groups are very much a, a, a an X factor versus a great deal of the fandom as a whole in regards to what the fans want versus what a focus group is going to tell you as far as statistics and results are concerned with the direction that you're going with what you're doing, whether it be a generic property or a fan trend or, or a, uh, 
a, a localization that they, they, there tends to be a corporate aspect or, or an almost sterilized aspect that focus group, focus groups bring that is not nearly as effective in trying to get the right or the raw information you need to make the decisions necessary to propel what you're doing it forward, especially when it comes to escapism. The point of escapism is to escape from the reality that you currently are relying, currently are, are residing in, be it, be it in a temporary manner. The problem ends up being is if, if the, if you get the suspension of disbelief is something that is integral to that aspect, whether you're watching something, watching a movie or an animation, or you're playing a video game, or you're reading a book, if you're not invested in what in in the narrative that's being pr- being proffered to you, then you're not going to enjoy what's being offered, and you're going to end up divorcing yourself from from the very thing you're using to divorce yourself from reality, and you're going to seek else you're going to go elsewhere to try and find some kind of escape, and you and it may be subpar to what you were used to. It may in, it may end up forcing you to go back to nostalgia, which is an uh, which is a a more gray area part of escapism because you're just kind of reliving your, your your glory days, so to speak, in a vain attempt to try and avoid the the, the current paradigm that you find yourself in. And if if as a company, if all you're focused on is just the younger generations, in that regard. And not really, not giving, not giving your fans the faith necessary for them to bring new people into the fold themselves, and you just offering a quality product, then you yourself are shooting yourselves in the foot in that regard. Especially because the majority of the people in those fandoms aren't the throng of crazy individuals who are spouting off insanity on this, on social media and its different aspects. These are people who are genuinely invested in what you're trying to create. And when you stop focusing on doing, creating a good product and start focusing on pandering to a general audience, you're going to end up creating a situation where, yes, your general audience is going to watch. Just look at the Michael Bay Turtles film. There were, they made money. The problem ends up being yep. is that you've eroded the, eroded the fandom attached to that to the point where they're not going to, especially if they believe that the intellectual property is wholesale connected to that. They are going to fall off completely from what you're, once you're attempting to enjoy and your audience retention on general audiences is going to be vastly thinner than it would be with the fandom that's already existing. So there is a point where you need to actually focus down onto those groups as opposed to a giant blanket of people who may not have any real interest in going long haul on what you're trying to create. I mean, that is a very, com- that is a very compelling point. Now, the thing with focus groups is that they are the, they're the experimental sort of thing for the company. They're a more controlled environment for companies. So, because like you mentioned, it's kind of hard for them to go and pick, you know, go and, uh, you know, look at the insanity of some of the fan bases out there, if not a mall, if not the mall, especially when it comes to their own product, because it's usually the it's usually the loudest ones that are generally the most irrational. I think you need to say I the think least. there needs to be better curation on the 
on the creator's part then. I think that there needs to be a way to, uh, there needs to be a, a pathway to, to linking to the more adept in the group. And now in that viewpoint, it does, it, that, that could also be viewed as gatekeeping on the creator's part. But if you're looking at it from an IP curation or for an IP cultivation and curation standpoint, you absolutely need to do that on that side because you need to ensure that you are getting the, the general consensus from the fandom. And when you listen to dissident voices on the fringe who are the loudest, who are screaming about things that have absolutely nothing to do with the intellectual property as a whole and end up being superficial to what you're trying to create, all you're doing is shooting yourselves in the foot. And as far as your statement, as far as the statement about uh, focus groups is concerned, yes, it is an exp- it is an experimental control group. And in, in and of that, there's an advantage to having them. But the problem in that is that if you don't have the faith to be able to present your experimental projects to the general public as a whole, because you're very worried about them, how they're going to interpret it assume this and and this is something that we get told all the time you can't please everyone all of the time you can only please some people some of the time assume you're going to cheese off somebody what you're attempting to do at the end of the day is create a quality product if it's quality and what you're doing is is consistent throughout the time that you've been creating this you know narrative and you know, different associated properties, then whatever happens, happens. A lot of these companies don't like playing with X factor situations like, you know, what are they going to like it? Or are they going to hate it? Because they hinge everything that is all of their hopes and dreams and financial securities on these things to the point where it's easier for them to rationalize creating a vanilla you know, vanilla wafer scenario that, yeah, everyone's going to enjoy it to an extent, but you're not going to get the wows and thrills and spills that you would with something that just, that, that, that just rocks the blockbuster. And that's, I think, or you can go in the other direction and go completely inconsistent and just throw all normal conventions out the window and see what sticks. You could, you could absolutely just go chaos theory and just eventually, you know, just keep whipping ideas at, at, at it and just go from there. But I think at that point, you're, there's a bit of recklessness attached to that. Financially speaking, it's, could be, it, it could be suicidal if you're not, especially if you don't have the right, uh, a, a, the right controls in place when you're doing what you're doing, one. And two, ensuring that you have budgeted effectively to be able to make those kind of loose cannon decisions. And I think that's what ends up happening with a lot of those things. And it dilute, it ends up either, it ends up destroying a lot of people. Everything is a measure of risk and reward in general. But when it comes to that kind of stuff, it's absolutely magnified because these are make or break scenarios for a lot of these studios and development companies where they go and say, yeah, we just can't do it. I think, I think with authors, it tends to be not as impactful, especially if you've created a decent amount of a decent body of work where you can be experimental. I just don't think you should be attaching it to the main 
intellectual property. It should be something that's more of a, a side thing that you're not doing to, to affect the main narrative of what you're trying to accomplish. But, you know, everyone makes their own decisions within that regard. So mine's more, my statement is more of a, you know, cautionary tale scenario when it comes to that kind of stuff. But when it comes to companies, like it's life or death in a lot of cases with this, which is kind of sad because you figure that, that you figure that these companies would be a lot less glass cannon if they're established companies that have been in the business for as long as they've been. And I think that that's, I think, and I think with how um, turbulent things have been and I, I wouldn't even just say in the last year, I go even as far back in the last five to 10 years where I'd say they'll, no, we'll go 11 because 20, 2010, so since 2010, the, the, the turbulency, especially with re, re, revolving around social media and popular culture, it's just been a constant, it's been a constant, you know, cascading tsunami. And, uh, you know, riding those waves has become kind of a, kind of a make or break scenario and a lot of people just don't have the 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 fortitude necessary to be able to especially in especially companies the fortitude necessary to keep making things without ensuring that there's some particular return on the investment that they're creating and what i think that's done overall to escapism as a whole because let's be honest any form of entertainment is some form of escapism from what you're doing in your daily life as far as work is concerned. No, I, I agree with you there. And what, and everyone has their personal reasons as to why they indulge in escapism, not just simply in their hobbies, but the concept in general. I know you do you, I know I do. And, uh, and I'm sure everybody listening to this has their own methods as well. Hell for the two of us, at least just, discussing in this podcast is a form of escapism even though we do tackle uh uh, serious topics on this particular podcast uh it is a method of escapism for at least for me for sure because the ability to collect and rational rationalize um these topics in my head allows me to essentially collect my thoughts and deal with the situations at hand rather than put them on the side. And that, that is in a form of escapism, just being it, it's a, it's a method of coping and dealing with the brutal truths, the brutal reality of life, no matter what aspects of life that you focus on. Yes. Uh, agreed. I think I think getting back to the general concept of escapism as it is, I think we would it would be it would be a disservice to not talk about the darker aspects of escapism as a whole, and addiction and that kind of stuff, and what where, where those kind of things stem from. And I think if you and I, and I don't think anybody here would 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 disagree with the 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 risk factor attached to those sort of things be it something more chemical like uh, like narcotics and that kind of stuff or something that's a bit more benign versus the versus the earlier as you know alcoholism etc et i think that there tends i think every as i stated at the beginning of, of all of this after the monologue everything in moderation 
it, it is the usual thing. But when it comes to habitual products, such as you know hallucinogens, narcotics, and those sort of thing, there there tends to be a a, a darker a darker uh, pathway, regardless of any particular adherence to moderation, because the way our body bio, biologies are moderation in a lot of cases within the context of the effects of those things tends to be something that the bar, the goalpost keeps shifting further and further in your body, forcing you to go deeper and deeper into that, that, uh, that addiction. Whereas with something, whereas with something more benign as, you know, playing video games, enjoying cinema, that kind of stuff, there isn't nearly as much of a, addiction aspect to it without there being other underlying psychological issues well the biggest threats comes from those that are more of a financial uh, destitution that you may bring upon yourself such as putting far too much money into said into said things such as media such as uh, movies and video games and then you are and then you're somehow like you know late due on rent you're being evicted it's an easy there are other ways that it can utterly destroy you because the 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 i didn't i don't want to the delusion of the enjoyment is so good that you tend to lose yourself in the process and digging yourself into a hole you may not have wanted. And that is, a, while it's not nearly as physically insane like, thing, like alcoholism, it can be just as devastating, if not, no, 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 ju- if not, just as devastating. I, I can't say if not more, because I, I, would, I would like to argue that... Uh, things like alcoholism can do both of those things just as effectively magnifying its uh its potency with that it really ends up being about the support structure around you and the people around you being aware of you falling down into those black holes and i think that with that all being said i think we should talking about the future to an extent or, or, or not about the future of escapism going forward, something that we should definitely do a little bit of time on, especially with stuff like augmented reality and virtual reality becoming, m- having much more uh, real estate in popular culture now. More than ever, I would say with within the past three or four years, a- AR and VR are definitely Get, coming into their own in that regard and seeing that that is in itself a, a level of escapism participating in either of those is something that we, we should look into not just personally but as a society as a methodology for escapism and the potential for abuse that may come to that as well i agree i believe it would be a healthy subject to discuss or at the very least explore I think we need. I think. I, I think it's something that I, I personally have used VR at least a couple times in my life. The more modern iteration, I haven't. 
I just never saw a reason to jump into it because it seemed like a fad the first time I tried it. And I had no reason to believe that it was ever going to jump outside of that any anytime soon. And I think with Augment... Well, unfortunately for you, if Pogs can come back, so can VR. Yeah, one's, one's a little bit more involved, I imagine. Um, but I look <laughs> at it, augmented reality, and I, I definitely see it more potential with that as something, especially as a budgetary thing. Augmented reality would be something that is much more tenable for your general public to be able to get into since I mean, we're talking about market saturation anyways, but I can see it splintering off into various different directions as a thing for people to be able to enjoy, especially with, uh, with you and I having seen the rudimentary uh, aspects of it in some of the devices that we've used in the past 10 years. Indeed, I agree. And it's something that I think that a lot of people are starting to explore more now because of its ease of access. Whereas VR tends to require a great deal more real estate to be able to realize its full potential. Augmented reality, you have the entire world to be able to, to extend out the influence of AR without ever having to do too much maintenance or setup to be able to create the effect that you want to maybe some kind of headset but i don't think it's going to nearly require as much you know sensors and things to be able to create the kind of interaction that you would want to as a company to be able to to push that kind of experience for people i agree 100 percent and I think my perspective on it definitely comes from uh, reading a bit of what, uh, what what our buddy Phil has written down in short stories as far as AR is concerned. And it definitely made me much more hopeful for the technology to advance further beyond where it was because it, it's definitely a more immersive feeling without having to strap, you know, a full you know, complimentary headgear to make that kind of stuff occur. I mean, going back into the past and looking at stuff like lo- the, like the lawnmower man as kind of a, kind of a, uh, a period piece on what v- virtual reality was going to eventually become. Obviously that never occurred. I'm not talking about the sci-fi aspect of it. I'm more talking about the immersion level and potential in potentia that, that VR was, spo- was supposed to have. I do appreciate what it does. A lot of the stuff I've seen is very cool, and I feel like you can get lost in it. I've seen plenty of uh, internet videos showing people who are uh, using it. Like the they, they would use the VR headset, make them think that they're walking across like a steel beam across two buildings, and somebody would push them push them off of it and freak them out because they literally thought that they were in in that in that situation in real time so i mean at least there's an amusement factor there but i think that i think in that you're trying to create a world inside of the helmet whereas with with ar you can just use the world that exists and just you know make make adjustments and tweaks here and there 
to create a larger, more expansive experience in that. That actually makes a lot of sense. How long do you think that will take, though? I mean, it's VR's already made quite a bit of advancements since the 90s. And I mean, and how quickly tech is evolving, I'm going to assume that it could be roughly another decade before we have something near to that experience. I think the problem with VR is is the, the saturation level isn't to the point where the advancements can get any further. That's where I think the, 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 the breakdown ends up happening. No, but not everyone okay. has a VR set. They're more accessible than they were. I will concur because you can use your cell phone or your, your smartphone and okay. a headset as kind of a stopgap, but it's not nearly as intuitive as say like an actual Oculus Rift setup or, PSVR and those things are those things tend to be as expensive as the systems that they have to be attached to not to mention any of the software that you want to run on those particular systems to uh, to achieve whatever end goal you're trying to achieve i think both i think both can be developed i just think that ar has a, has a greater has greater potential as far as market saturation is concerned, at least by my perspective, people can present us with information or data that proves to me otherwise, but I don't own a VR system. I don't know anybody other than one person in my, in my extended group who has, has a VR system that they use with any frequency. But when, as far as AR is concerned, you can just use your smartphone to, to, to do a lot of AR stuff. As long as your phone is a camera and a decent amount of and a decent amount of hard drive space, you could run AR on anything as long as it's not too old. So the value there is very much in the accessibility there. Heck, just going back to the 3DS with the AR cards that they had, that's a great example of what the, the potential that that had back then. Fair, but then there's the idea of general interest, and I'm fairly certain that it's gone down significantly than than back in the day. Heck, I personally don't even remember ever using the AR games, the AR cards for the 3DS. I mean, that could be said about VR as well. A lot of the value, That's a lot fair. of the value in VR is is really only in spurts because there's no overarching narrative for the majority of the games that you're playing. Most of them tend to be little mini games or small little things that that don't really have an overarching story attached to them. So, I mean, you can only play the Rick and Morty VR game only so many times before you're like, okay, I've seen everything that this has to offer. I think that's that's the inherent downfall in both of those aspects, at least from what I can see. But like I said, Fair the, the future is the future, and we'll see what happens with that. As far as like you know, Google Glass style AR head you know, AR you know eyewear, I don't know. I, I've I've seen uh, Google Glass kind of fell flat because it was too expensive for most people, but the idea is very much something that I would like to see pushed forward because eventually, I mean, we're not really going to need smartphones. You just have them on your head. 
or in your head, depending on how far down the road we get with microchipping, etc. Who the hell knows? I think that will only happen when our fair government decides that we can't be trusted. Fair enough on that one. I don't think I want to go any further down that weird tinfoil hat experience. <laughs> fair enough. With all that being said, I think we have, I I think we have uh, a lot of our time here. Don't want to get our patrons to be drunk with our knowledge, or at least not too drunk. Yes, get yourself a designated boat boat uh, manner if you're going to have that problem. We don't want your we don't want you get we don't want your vessel capsizing. <laughs> with that being said, thank you for joining us this evening. Please come back, have a and have a wonderful have a wonderful uh, week, and we'll see you back with a brand new brew. Same time, same networks. All right, so <clears throat> you can find our podcast on the Anchor app itself if you have it. Um, the Anchor app also publishes to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, CastBox, and a few choice others. Um, if any of those platforms are defunct, obviously ignore them, but the major ones are Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., uh, you can contact us individually if you wish. Um, I am at Punk Toast. I'm sorry. I am Punk Toast on Twitter. There's no at there. Um, you can also contact me via Instagram, also at Punk Toast. Go ahead, uh, Harma. What's your what's your shtick? You can find me as the Ragnarok Knight on Twitter as well. It has been a pleasure discussing with you tonight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all. And uh, this has been Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. Please join us next time at the bar where we will serenade you with more rants and insanity as we often do. Keep your wits about you and have your booze ready. Cast off, friends.